Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series with myself, Lisa Farley, coordinator of the talk series here at the Abbey. For this podcast, I got to sit down with the immensely talented Claire Barrett. I was really interested in talking with Claire about her beginnings in theatre, her background, her training in one type of theatre to the other, and this whole other life she created for herself long before her first paid acting job. Claire talks of home, of family, of lifelong friends, and the joyous experience that is the unmanageable sisters. I'm going to be brief for the second time in my life, so you can get on with the listening. Enjoy this podcast. Claire, I ventured out to Theatreland last week on two separate occasions, um, and I talked to a few members of the acting community, the acting folk. And they inquired who I'd be talking to next. And when I mentioned your name, the reaction and response was identical on the two occasions. Oh, she'll be great. She's so funny. Two things I know to be true. One, I absolutely agree with these accurate and truthful responses. Two, there is now a real threat that I will somehow make Claire Barrett unfunny. This is it. Now, there's a lot of pressure on that one now, isn't there? So my question (laughs) to you is, have you always been aware of having funny bones? And do you remember the first time you realised you could make people laugh? God, that's a good question now. Um, see, the gas thing is, I think, you know, when people say you're funny all the time, you don't think you're funny. You know, like, like and if you think you're funny, then that's where you're dangerous. Because <laughs> like, if you go, um, I suppose, like in school, I would have been a bit of the class clown. And that was, it's not, you know, like if you're the smallest girl and the youngest girl in the class and, uh, you know, in a mixed school as I did as I grew up in, you have to find your little niche and if it, everybody has a talent, I suppose, in some shape or form. And for me, it was probably making people laugh and that would be the thing. And uh, yeah, uh, doing impressions. And that was probably more a secondary school, really. I think in primary school, you just batten down the hatches and hope for the best that you survive. But... Um, and were you funny at home? Yeah, I think I was that person. If you know, well, now my dad is really funny and my mom was very funny, but my mom was funny with her friends and maybe we didn't see as much of the funniness until we were older, you know, but she actually had a great, a great dry wit, like, you know, and my dad would have been a real droll humour. And I really, that's the kind of humour I like. I really appreciate it. Um, so, but everybody has a place, I suppose. And me and my brother were kind of the middle children. And I think we were the ones that would do the, the funny things or the mess into the play. But I think you kind of have, um, uh, you know, even my grandmother, I remember coming home one Christmas and getting, you guess, we got used to have our Christmas presents on Christmas Eve. And I had decided I'd, everything that I got, I was so excited by, I put on at the same time. And my grandmother nearly lost her life. She'd cry and laugh. And we're like, well, and she goes, oh, Claire would wear anything. And it was just more the fact of like, I think I'd be, I enjoy when people laugh. I enjoy, uh, I enjoy having a, a good time and I think humour can break down an awful lot of things and especially, you know, sadness or difficult times. Uh, it was always a good method in our house to be able to laugh at something and t- to help us get through it. You know? And what kind of household was it in Renmore? Kind of go in Renmore, it was a busy household. Now, my mum and dad came from Clonmel in County Tipperary and they uh, and my older brother and sister were born there. But thankfully, they came to Galway. To have me, I know they moved. To, my mum always wanted, and dad always wanted to live beside the sea, so they moved to Galway. And God bless them, moved to Galway, where it was a university town, and they had the seaside. And we all availed of the seaside, but none of us availed of the university. We all went elsewhere to the university, but my mum and dad went to the university there actually uh, at various times. So it was a lovely house and a busy house. And my mum was a great woman. She would have had to take. Uh, she had to give up her job because of the marriage ban, as a lot of women did uh, back then. So she 
was a great woman for trying to just get us involved in things. And uh, so we were always doing something, you know, and they weren't stuff that cost money particularly like, you know, it was just outings and picnics. And I suppose there was a a local community group that did um, a pantomime every year. And my mum was very involved in that. She was a a PR person and then later on a chairperson involved in it. So we all signed up because there was a young group for that. that, uh, So you would do... They used to call us the Smurfs, which was I think that was just because we were small as opposed to being blue. And uh, we uh, we would learn a song and a dance. We were part of this Christmas pantomime. So I was four the first time I was in that. And I think I got into it because my older siblings were in it, but they didn't realise I was only four. And the following year, the lady who ran it said, now, anybody under seven is not allowed in the room. And we're very sorry now if you're sad, but you'll have to go home and next year come back when you're over seven. So I started to walk out the room and I'd already been in it. And she came, Claire Bowers, where are you going? And she called me back in. I said, I'm only five. And she goes, but that means last year you were, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. So she sent me to the side. And um, I was one of all King Cole's children the first year. And then the second year, I think it was Sinbad the Sailor or something. But anyway, I managed to sneak in. Maybe it was a bit of nepotism there now somewhere. I'd hate to say there'd be an uproar about it. But uh, yeah, I managed to to stay in has and I think I might have I don't know if I still hold a record for being the youngest person but but I was at the time anyway I had I held that record for a little while anyway do you remember I do performing in front of a crowd I do remember that actually I remember people laughing uh, which I only found out recently was because or not recently I found it out much later was that uh, it was because I was going in the wrong direction <laughs> everybody else and was so nosy that I was watching everybody out and around me and not paying any attention to the fact that the entire line of people were going to the left and I was going to the right because I was enjoying myself so much so uh, I had an interest in drama so my mum sent me to Rebecca Bartlett who would have been a druid actress and she lived a couple of streets up the road and she did the speech and drama exams, you know. I, I don't remember much, but I remember going to her house and we had to do, you'd learn pieces and stuff like that. But I, I more remember my father laughing at me because I had Charlotte's Web and I was taking it very seriously. I don't want to die here alone in my pen, that kind of thing. <laughs> so I, I loved it. And then uh, I would have ran that course. There was only so many exams you could do. And uh, I did those exams and then she started running an improv class. And I think that's where my and I was only about eight or nine at this stage. And uh, we did the improv classes in in a local hall. And uh, that like the possibility of that was unbelievable to me and mind blowing, you know, and I I, it kind of stated everything. I was an avid reader and I just loved that you could be carried off to these different places you could be anything that you wanted to be and that really and even then I didn't think it would be a lifetime stuff but I, I just loved the um, so and are you I going really to plays it. as well at this time oh absolutely my mum was a fantastic woman my mum and dad but my mum was I suppose the driving force about that and Galway was a great place to grow up in for that I mean the Galway Arts Festival was out of this world and for the first time when I thought oh my god I'd love to do this was probably when I went to see um, I'm trying to think I, I was looking it up um, a few months ago actually and I think it was 1985 there was a Spanish street theatre company called El's Comedian I think they're called and they unbelievably they did this whole they took over Galway and it was a show called The Devil 
and they uh, it ended up we followed them all through car parks and the streets of Galway and first of all it's night time you're allowed out you're with your parents you know what I mean but it's happening on the street and it was so live like I mean health and safety it wasn't a thing at the time and I think people were getting burnt from like exploding firecrackers and they reenacted some of the Spanish Civil War on the top of the Spanish Arch and just the simple thing I mean obviously I know now but at the time I completely was absorbed by it and they had a big battle with two men and they went down and then a body came over ah! you know we're all screaming and crying but I mean obviously it was not a real human but it was the most amazing thing and it was on our streets the streets we walked every day completely transformed and I just I thought that, oh God wouldn't you love to be part of this it was just magic and all free all outdoors you know so the festival really has a, it was such a great thing for our county for our city because Oh, and like and to this day it holds a massive place in my heart like if I if I can at all like I've driven I've been on tour and driven home on a Sunday just to see a show in the Goy Arts Festival because it was such an important part of my life you know and seeing it and uh, so I think that was the first one and then I went to see Rebecca who was my teacher Rebecca Bartlett in um Bernard Farrell's uh, I Do Not Like the Dr. Fell in Druid. And then that was a different, this was indoors and it got dark and all this very funny stuff happened on the stage. And and then, you know, this was the person who who I knew to be my teacher, but and she I was somebody completely different. And she was on stage and acting in, in this wonderful production, you know. So and that, are you connecting the dots there saying that if this is someone I know who's doing what I want to do, do can I do it? Can I do that? I, yeah, I think I did, but I think I did to one degree. But I still think there's a there was a large part of me until much later in my life that realised, no, you can do it too. I thought I might have thought that that's what other people did. I enjoyed it, but was it a hobby? You know what I mean? And that um, not that it was a hobby like I'd love, but I never thought you'd be good enough or that you could make a life for yourself doing it that way you'd hoped that you could but maybe I always thought it was for other people um, and I don't know like that changed eventually but it uh, it took time you know <laughs> so, so you go through secondary school and then what's on your CAO form? My CAO form that's what I, well, I applied for acting because at this stage I was working with Anne Shoemate you know who was this wonderful lady who was of course kind of saying to me you absolutely can you know why wouldn't you apply for this and I uh, went. And are you to getting school. that support at home? Yeah, my mum and dad were brilliant, and they let us do everything and be part of everything. But it, I think they kind of didn't realise, or perhaps I didn't tell them that I was applying on my CEO form until it came in the post and go, "No, look, there's me first choice, my second choice, whatever." And then they asked me, and I applied to Trinity. The Beckett course wasn't in existence at the time, and I applied for that, and uh, you did the interview and everything, and was offered. You know, according to if you get your points, then you can go into. It was a uh, drama studies and English and uh, in Trinity College. And then my CEO came in and you have to do your change of mind slip, whether you're changing your mind or not. And then they sat me down and went, well, maybe it's not a real job, you know, and maybe it's maybe it's too difficult. It wasn't even a real job. They were thought it was a difficult life and they were worried for me that it would be a difficult life, you know, and maybe they that's their knowledge of it. There was nobody else in our family who'd ever done the like of it, you know, so they had nothing to compare it to. And anybody that they did know, you know, they thought, oh God, it's difficult, it's hard, you know, and I mean, but and they just thought for a young person, they kind of were like, maybe something you'll come back to or maybe something you'll do as your part time or your hobby. But really, is this something that you want to put yourself into now? But they didn't force me. There was no sort of well, how are you Dickensian at kind the of a time, thing. Like, and at the time, I think I was so shocked that they actually t- 
said it to me that I went, oh yeah, you're probably right. You're so <laughs> you shocked. That they kind of because they never stopped us from doing that. They were great encouragers. You know, like they would always do what you want to do, and you know, um, I mean, within reason. Like, but I mean, there was, but they were always very much like. I mean, I would have done a, a play three weeks before my leaving cert and there was never no 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 you must study there was not that kind of my mum was a very firm believer in like she didn't kind of believe in repeating and stuff like that if you want to do something you'll study hard enough and you'll get what you need and uh, because your childhood is still your childhood so be involved in things and you'll be old enough soon you know where your responsibilities will be coming and you'll have to hunker down and be you know be the adult so be a child while you can be a child, you know, and that was a great freedom. So when they sat me down, I mean, and, and there was no, you know, there was no big drama about it at all. It was just like, Claire, we think now that maybe you should reconsider, like, and maybe they were worried that my head was being filled a bit too much by, you know, working with people that did do it as a profession. And it, because it was so alien to their world, they thought, perhaps like you know this is not the time for it and but I mean they didn't say you had to there was no black and white I I, I could have turned around and said no I don't agree with you and did it but I really trusted them in what they said and I said to them fine so I changed it to science <laughs> which is a very marked difference but I got science in UCG and Minute, I think and uh, then when it came to it I didn't take it and I went on to to do something else. And there's something else was nursing. nursing. Is it the four years that you do to be a general nurse? You do three years to be a general nurse. But the problem was, because, as I said, I was four, you know, when I did the thing, I was always much younger than everybody else. So when I got out of school initially, um, I started to apply. But at the time, it was the old methodology. You didn't go through university. You did, the, you did your nurse training within hospital situations. So I had applied to Galway and but they had essentially kind of said, you're too young. You know, you're, you're like you're literally just turned 17. So um, if we were you, we go away for your do pre-nursing course, do all travel and do whatever you want. But um, we, we won't be able to give you a place till you're 18. I applied to Port Yonkla Hospital in Ballinasloe and they offered me a place but they to their May intake which was say three weeks before I turned 18 so that was acceptable you know so I did um I at the start of May in when was that now 1994 I did my leave so this is 1994 I started my general training you know and I, for that year in between I did a pre-nursing course and I did as many shows as I wanted to do I I, I loved to so sing so filling the musicals. That, you're filling, filling that, that I still need do, Absolutely. And is it a need or at well, this point? Well, I don't point? know. It's something that I just absolutely adored. And and the gas thing is, I didn't see it as a need. I, th- I thought that was why, like, like, this was what I enjoyed to do. So somebody else will go off and they might go on a sun holiday or they might go running. But for me, it was to do, uh, I loved rehearsals and I loved, you know, working with, there was an amateur group in Galway and a musical group in Galway that I worked with. So I that was what I would do. I'd come home. Uh, uh, even when I was nursing I'd take my holidays everybody else was going off to Santa Panza and I would use my holidays to do a show I'd take the week of the show off and everything like that. and that's so, all yes it was cracked like you know I mean I see Lisa's face and they would go really and you didn't think you want but I thought that was just well, see, what people it. did. It's, it's was your hobby if you were like, committed to something. You know what I mean? Like, and I was, and I give like I did stupid things like I would get be in lectures all day I get I'd hitch this was before the days when you, you know, probably I would not advise hitching to anybody. Now, but you used to hitch outside the hospital, and you'd have to cover up because you weren't allowed to hitch in your your uniform, so you'd have to hide yourself. Where are you hitching? Hitching from Ballinasloe back to Galway for rehearsals. 
And then I would get an early bus back in the morning to be in time for either work or lectures or whatever it was that I was You're doing. not like lying there exhausted some nights saying, you know, I can't lead this double life or like, what are you thinking through these years I of I think you're training? just kind of, I just, that it'll make you a whole or person that you can't forget a part of yourself to be one other thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, I, and everybody was so on board. Like, there was a chorus master that used to quiz me when, because I was still doing it when I was in third year nursing, where I should have been settling down now at this stage, to be honest, to begin. And we would have, in the lead up to our final exams, we had a very strict uh, head of department, fantastic woman. I mean, one of the most amazing teachers I've ever had in my life. But she would set us these exams every morning you know so of course it was during the run of the show and I was doing a show in Galway and then I would the course master in the green room would quiz me on leukemia or <laughs> the workings of uh, the kidney or something like you know what I mean whatever it was that I had to be studying like at that particular time I was very lucky like and maybe that's coming to you know, later life, I can use the same thing. I would be a quick study so I can learn stuff off. And probably was I learning stuff off, maybe regurgitating these exams, possibly at this time. Yes, I think I was. But um, so I would literally batten down the hunches and I would learn stuff off and I would go up there and I would go in the mor- following morning and I would do that exam and then go off again. And and I had a great ability at the time to nap, which I which is gone from me now. I've lost me. And I would literally sleep for the 40 minutes on the bus. Boop, get up, do me exactly. <laughs> I, and, and I literally, it was all about like the people that I was working with, the friends that I was making. And that I got an absolute thrill from doing it. And then I had a quite a serious job. I was now an adult and I was working in paediatric operating theatre. You know, and I was loving that. I loved the, mus- the multidisciplinary element of that. And intellectually it'd be very challenged you know this what we were doing and what we were studying and how the work was excellent and the people I and I was really enjoying it but I started then to kind of go is this going to be my life always well tell me about the day that you got you were signing the permanent contract Effect, yeah that was what I kind of basically they I had been dating a, a fella at the time from the air corps <laughs> God, very, top gun. very excited and uh I didn't understand contracts at all. I'd gone literally blithely falling from one thing to the other. So did like I worked in my general nursing and then got a job straight out of college because, you know, we were very well trained and it was quite a small class in Porto Uncle. So they they generally were quite quick to give people jobs because the training was very good that came from there. I was very lucky. Me and the other girl who started at the same time as me, despite the fact that we were only there six months as staff nurses in this place, um, they offered us a permanent contract. But this chap had been in the Air Corps and in the Air Corps you had to buy yourself out of a contract. So I kind of suddenly was like permanency and contracts to me went, oh my good God, will I ever get out of it? And the fear gripped my heart. And um, the thing about being full-time staff nurse versus student nurse was that I didn't have the time as much time and also the level of concentration I did an awful lot of on call and both at night time and at the weekends so suddenly that availability to be able to do your hobby or what I thought was my hobby um, doing the drama and acting 
was suddenly getting smaller and smaller and I was missing it dreadfully. So she said, poor Nula, she was brilliant. She went to sign. I said to her, and how do I get out of this as I sign my name? And she goes, what do you mean? How do you get out of it? And I said, well, I'm just just on the off chance I needed to leave this. And she goes, well, you're paid monthly. You just give a month's notice. I said, just a month. And she was like, yeah. And I said, oh, OK. And that put the relief a little bit in me. And it was literally less than three months later I left and I moved back to Galway with the intent to apply to drama colleges. So that shift must have always been in my the back of my brain. I think it was. But to actually make the move and say, get rid of a permanent job. I mean, everybody wanted them at the time and you couldn't get them anywhere else in the country apart from Dublin. Like, because Dublin, like, and I was experienced beyond my years in a way because you had to be because the turnover of staff was so much, you were accelerating through the ranks at a rate of, of knots like I mean it, it's quite unheard of to be made permanent after six months of, of working So what age are you now Claire? At this stage what am I 24 maybe 23, 24 So what do you do? So I went home to Galway deciding I was going to involve myself in as many productions <laughs> as I could I was going to audition for everything and tell no one not even my family that I was going to um, apply to uh, drama colleges and I was going to apply to uh, Trinity and um, DIT were the only two I knew of in Ireland at the time. And there was the Gaiety School of Acting. But I I think at that stage, I was also a little bit older where I knew I wanted something that had a piece of paper. It's not that the Gaiety doesn't have a piece of paper. It does. It, I'm talking about a, a degree that I could either build on or something in case it didn't work out for me in the acting world, like that I would be able to teach or I'd be able to go into that into that world. So I applied to those two and I applied, I got my UCAS form for applying to England and abroad because I knew there was a couple of courses Yeah, I was going to ask London. you, was London ever an option? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, and like I was doing it all through the CAO first because I just thought, well, I'll go back and I'll train probably. That, that, that felt very important to me and I know that's something that over the years I've met different actors and, you know, people get into it in different ways. You know, they come, some people train, some people don't and it, and it really is a matter of um not preference, but I mean, nowadays more people are edging towards the training, but it's not to say that it's better or anything than anything. Some people have an innate talent and they can learn and they, life is their university and that's what they do. But for me, because I was coming from another profession, to have a piece of paper in the new thing meant that I could say, no, I've actually studied this. You know what I mean? I, I'm not a chancer. I'm not a something. I, I have a frame of reference. I can I can talk about theatre in a way that I wouldn't have been able to do that before I studied. So I applied and I, as I said, I didn't even tell my family I was applying. Yeah, I took a job that was a day shift so that I'd be free for evening rehearsals and that kind of thing. And I took, um, I uh, worked in the Bonds of Gores and Goy and in the paediatric unit. And uh, I did rehearsals tonight and I did three or four different plays that year. And I went to a very good friend, Colette Heaney, who was, um, who would have been a regular in Antiviarch. An amazing lady. She very kindly whipped me into shape and I did two pieces, you know, and uh, I what, got what offered What pieces the were they? Do you remember? Well, it was, uh, when I heard now Catherine Byrne speaking about it, but it was Maggie from Dancing at Luna. So to this day, and you had to do a Shakespeare piece as well. And my Shakespeare piece, I think, was As You Like It. And um, uh, I did Maggie from Dancing at Luna. So. And I, to this day, would absolutely adore to play. But I just think it's the most beautiful play. It's a beautiful play. And, like, I would have been a, you know, 
it's amazing to be on the stage with Catherine Byrne, you know, somebody who was there at the beginning of such a wonderful play. And so, yeah, it was gorgeous. And like, I, as I said, didn't tell anyone, went and applied and then got offered the place and then brought it to my parents. And they were kind of going, well, it's your money now if you want to do it and you do the thing. And, and I said, well, I've applied. And because I've never done a university thing, you know, I can I can get the grants, I can do the whatever. And they said, well, and they were completely 100 percent behind me like you know and there was always that well you can always you're always a nurse you can fall back on that and uh, I think it was hard for people to understand a little bit I think people thought I was just taking a sabbatical and that I would do these three years and then forget all about it get it out of my system but then the three years of studying I mean I studied in uh, the Conservatory of Music and Drama in DIT and like oh my heart soared like never in medicine things are wrong or right and as you, you know, as you study legal implications and ethics, of course, there's opinions and stuff like that. But rarely your opinion was asked for, you know. And uh, so to be allowed that luxury of reading. Oh, my goodness. I my like literally I must have been beaming for three years solid. Like I literally I don't think there was anybody who skipped into college in the same way that I did. And are you are you there as a mature student? I'm there as a mature student, and which is a very funny story because apparently I didn't look like a mature student. And I'd say I probably didn't act like a mature student. But they... Um, are you the only mature student? I'm the only student? mature student. Really? Everybody else Just is 18. Oh, right. Which is hilarious. And my first essay that went in, everybody got their essay back and I didn't get mine back. So I thought, oh God, what's going on? And I got called into the office and they're sitting down. Who's and calling you in? Declan Drone. Remember Declan? And uh, so Declan anyway called me in and... He, uh, they're going through the essay and he was like basically trying to see where I stole it from. And he was going on and on. Uh, he said that, you know, I mean, it got this and I got a really good mark, you know, but he said your references. And where did you get that reference? And I said, well, I just read that book last week and I thought it was great. So I added a bit of that in. It might have been too much, you know, this kind of thing. And he was like, no, no, it, it was a it was a good point. And I said, and, and then there was this book. And, then, and he said, so you read about eight books for this essay? And I said, okay. I said, well, it was the first one, you know. And then I just let it, the sentence slip. I said, and I suppose in nursing, nobody ever really, you know, let you do these kind of things. You know, or there was only very few... Uh, books you could refer to you know so I said I probably went a bit overboard but I was excited you know and he goes oh oh you're the mature student and I said oh yeah yeah and he goes oh god he said, oh, that explains a lot no he said it was too mature the arguments were too mature he was like going it was but you don't look like you're I said that's I mean it's good you look very young oh god thank god oh that's grand we thought we were going to have to um, you know rescind your mark because it, it just seemed a bit too we thought you bought it off somebody or somebody else did your essay because they said if you're just out of school those thought processes were probably not applicable to that although there was very smart people in my class it wasn't that but I suppose at 18 you go in a different direction it's you know Whereas I was, I thought I was being called in because I went a bit over the top, like, you know what I mean? You know, referring to 50 million books that I didn't really need to, you know. But uh, anyway, so that was when they discovered I was a mature student. And apparently I didn't look, which was good. I blended with my class. I'm sure now as the years have gone on, that has separated somewhat. But they were a lovely bunch of people. And and but I think better now, the classes that are coming out are more... You know, they're they're bonding together. And I remember going back to speak a couple of times and saying that to people, you know, get your own work out there. Like, you know, to, don't be, and to was be that seen something and that, like that. Um, I mean, do you feel that DIT equipped you with the skills, I suppose, to do that? 
I don't know. I still think you're probably. I mean, I, I don't imagine it was any different in Trinity or anywhere else, to be honest. Now, maybe the Gaty, because they're more, they knew they know the business maybe better than the thing. But um, I think everybody's a bit lost because, oh, my God, you're like an athlete when you leave college. Like, you could learn Shakespeare and four other contemporary plays in the one night and be able to rhyme them off and, and have somewhat of a, you know, you know, but you would, like, you would be able to, you're like, you're just primed and you're pumped and your brain is so agile and you just feel ready to go. Well, tell me about that momentum then. You're hurtling towards the end, the, the graduation yeah. year. You've done a recital and you've done the graduate showcase. Yeah. You're the one who gets an agent? Well, I didn't get an agent, but I got an agent who was interested but didn't came to look for a man and not for a woman. <laughs> so you became that man? So I became, well, I wish I did. And that was the other funny thing. Like, I was laughing because we, we did feminism studies, you know, in first year and with the fabulous Susie Kennedy. And she was basically explaining, you know, that they were talking that historically in theatre, like you're a female career in acting goes from the age of 18 to 23 and then doesn't start again until you. So you're basically unemployed until your late 40s and then you can play older characters. And there was, and there's nothing in between. It was like, statistically, I mean, it's a, it's a sweeping thing. So I'm sitting there going, oh my God, I'm that age. Now, so by the time I get out of college, I'll never work for <laughs> work till I'm in my late 40s. So I, I, I think that was, might be in the back of your brain a tiny bit, kind of going. But uh, I still, you know, threw myself into it hell for leather. I, I did the thesis and I got invited to some workshops out of it. And the workshops then I got offered an audition for Team Theatre Company. And uh, I got that audition and got offered the part with uh, Martin Murphy was the director and uh, that was my first professional paid job then and was seen by the actually the same agent who didn't recognise me and I was like well no wonder by the time you finish your recital and your showcase and your final exams you look haggard she thought I was much younger looking by the time she saw me in the thing and she took me on and that was great and then thankfully I've been had an agent, you know, ever since. But it was, uh, yeah. So it wasn't initial. But I was, I was, I was very lucky. Like I don't know if anybody got really an agent out of out of their first out of their showcase at the time. Things were quite lean, you know. There wasn't enough going, ask going you on. After those, what are those first few years like out of college? Yeah, they're kind of daunting because you are. But I have to say, I have ne- and I've repeated the story because I'm sure it's not the same for everybody. I, I, I think I was worried. You know, you see, movies or. TV series and everybody's very competitive and they won't speak to you or that was not my experience at all in Ireland like every workshop that I did that I turned up to people were thrilled that you came here thrilled that you you know that you were part of it and they were like going there was other actresses who were the same age as you and in competition with you saying things like now you said you don't have an agent do you? well if I hear of that then give me your email and I'll send it on to you and I thought who are these gorgeous people that are instant friends you know what I mean or they were being comrades at the very you know what I mean if you if you mightn't have seen them day in and day out but they were just fantastic and like I met some of my co- future colleagues in these workshops and we ended up as I said they gave me a little leg up in that they did if they heard of a workshop going on or they heard of an open audition or something they passed it on which was which was how I got started really and then once you get one job under your belt you get a bit of a lay of the land and you kind of understand okay this is how it works and you keep going but that first six months were were trying you know and you're you're saying yes to absolutely everything in the hope that you know somebody will see you and, and think oh she's not bad or, and you're you know. still nursing are you still nursing yeah I did because I mean I had to put uh, 
put food on the table, pay the bills and everything like that. So I used to do twilight shifts in Crumlin Children's Hospital, actually, which meant you could be available during the day for workshops and auditions and everything. And then you worked from eight to midnight at night in the criminal in Crumlin's hospital and then you were off then during the day again you know so you didn't need you were asleep by two o'clock which meant you know you were okay like you weren't on a night shift per se so and that kept kept me going for a while can i skip forward to yeah, your work with hot for theater and amy conroy and um, and the award-winning i heart alice heart i and um, how many years am i skipping forward to by the way and 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 how did that collaboration come about well you're it's gas because it's exactly what i was talking about so when i was talking about future colleagues and I met at an audition uh, or not at an audition I met at a workshop so I did a workshop for Brabus Theatre Company it was two weeks rehearsal or two weeks workshop it was brilliant and it was everything it was like it was kind of supposed to be in clown and physical theatre and there was a girl there and she was wild out crack and we were having a good giggle kind of while we were working on the breaks and that was the week one and then the week two of the workshop we were still chatting and getting on great and we both went for an audition. We had to get time off the workshop to have an audition. And then I went on a Tuesday, got the part. And then Amy went on the Thursday and got the part. So we were cast together in Bumbugs and Bees, which was the team production, which ran for six months. And uh, I have to say, I kind of thought going in as a mature student to acting or and having been a nurse and having had a whole other life before I went to, I didn't think I would make friends. That might sound really uh, naive. But such close friends and such solid friends as I have through this business. And uh, like, as my father would say, sure, how much more room do you have? You have too many friends. But here were these incredibly special people that were just coming into my life. And Amy Conroy was one of them and Jim Roach. And I've worked with them both on this production and uh, friends for for life still are so Amy and I met on on team and you know your team is a is a great I mean Amy had been working a good few years before that but for me being my first job it was the most amazing training because you are you're getting the, you're involved in the sesh you're involved in the facilitation work you're involved in the performance of it and it's just oh it's a company I lament because I just think it's so sad that it's gone and because the joy that you brought I mean you were doing six months now at ridiculous clock in the morning in the, in a van like a stomach inducing van journeys every morning but every time you couldn't but every time that we used to be in a beehive built by the amazing Ferdia Murphy with his fabulous costumes and when it would open you'd hear this little gasp <gasps> And any cynicism in you or any kind of stuff like that would go, oh, gosh, your heart would melt. And you do the show. And it was a powerful little show and great response always to it. So met Amy through that and we became very good pals. And then uh, we did other work with, with Barabbas, actually. We did uh, a show called 40 Songs of Green. And... Um, bits and pieces and we would as I said remain friends so you know Amy's doing her things and I'm doing my things I'm casting different things and then uh, Amy had an idea for a show and rang me and said would you be interested would you do it would you do it do you think and I said well what is it I'm having this idea I don't know what it is it's not happening yet so I said okay so we met and we uh, did some devising for a couple of weeks and Amy went away and wrote it and then we came back and we did more devising and kind of editing and stuff like that and uh, you know, we talked about the beats of what we wanted this thing to be, and uh, we took on. I had to lie to several thousand people and tell them that I wasn't involved in anything. And despite the fact that I get up and pretend to be somebody else, 
every night. I cannot, as Claire, lie very well. So I used to do this thing where I'd play with my scarf. And as, as Amy was laughing, going, you'll choke yourself one of these days because I'd just be twisting the scarf. Well, no, no, I'm not in anything. No, no, it's not. Anything. Because the premise of the first thing was just to see, could we pretend to be real people? And we, you know, caused a blurb. And all these people were going, oh, I know them personally, these two women. And it, it snowballed. It's like a Chinese whispers kind of thing. Oh, do you know them? You must know them. They're from the Crumlin Road, these two ladies. And, and uh uh, sorry for anybody who doesn't know it was a show about two elderly ladies who were in a couple and they were it was set like a piece of documentary style theatre and they would explain their lives and their love for each other and um, so people work and we had politicians and famous people kind of saying I, I think everybody should come out and see this show and support these wonderful women who are taking the time to come and speak about their lives Now the only people who knew about it were me and Amy um, the wonderful Val Sherlock who helped us create the faces Jack Cawley who did our music and um, uh, Quiver Regan who was obviously our stage manager and um, Rosha Gone, who had been the wonderful uh, leader of the Fringe Festival at the time who took a chance on us like we were very naive and we, it was just about getting the show on and see could we pull it off you know and we went dressed as the ladies at one stage but we did loads of sort of recce's as well like we used to sit in Boyers when it was still open in the cafe watching women of that age, you know, what they were wearing and, you know, how they held themselves. And we take sneaky pictures, you know, which is, I'm sure if anybody lifted our phones of the time or our iClouds looks highly dodgy, you know, of seeing women of certain, <laughs> in, their, in their 60s, like side profiles of ladies and things. And uh, we had our first little outing we decided uh, Val came and he'd given us a couple of workshops instead and we tried everything from prosthetic stuff to and eventually it was Val had to teach us how to use the makeup and the light in order to create the effect so he did it first because we had to do a photo shoot and um, he said so it was a bit it was a bit more it, it, it would have been paired back from what we used on stage but more lifelike and we decided, you know what, we had to record a scene from it, which was the ladies' sex scene, or they're talking about their, their sex life. And uh, we were meeting in a in a hotel in town. We were meeting Jack Cawley. And we went dressed as the women with the makeup on. And we thought, everybody will notice. Nobody passed an eyelid. And we sat there where we'd arranged to meet Jack, and he walked past us. So we were like going, OK, boom, this works then again. And uh, then we went on stage and it becomes apparent, you know, that you can see people looking going, is that, oh, I don't know, is that them? You know, and uh, obviously we exposed it at the end. And But it, it wasn't about that. Pretending to be other things was not the reason why we did it. Like, or is that what acting and storytelling is? Is it might not exactly be real life, but it can be close enough to that where you where you recognise it. Do you know what I mean? So it's not so far fetched that it's kind of alien to you that it is um, it is a story that you are familiar with, even if you're not sure you're familiar with it. But you know these people. You've seen them on the street, even if you don't know them personally. Or there might have been somebody that you kind of knew down the street that you thought was. You know, and it's a little sort of a keyhole into their life, but they're very human. And, I mean, Amy talks a lot about what she wanted for her company was to write about invisible people. So the people you pass all the time are the people that you see and you sit beside them on the bus or you see them or whatever. And the people that Jack Cawley walked by. Uh, yes, it's Jack Cawley walked by. And you don't think twice about them. And so it, it, while, as I said, we were very naive at the start of it, it grew to be something that we understood a bit more. That time, it was just about, could we do it? Could we pull it off, I suppose? Or, not, or could we could we make 
a really joyous piece of the theatre that people would want to know more about these people and, you know, treat them like real people, love them like real people, not as characters. But, well, like, when it came to, like, setting up, like Amy was setting up the company at the time, we hadn't a clue. Like, somebody rang us at one stage because, obviously, the show had getting great word of mouth and, you know, sort of a review and they were like going... And I took a phone call from somebody going, Claire, we're just wondering, yeah, so-and-so wants to come and they're a buddy from a festival abroad and we're just wondering about your house seats. So I was somebody's looking for the house seats. And he goes, what are the house seats? And I was like, I have a clue. They just tell us there's nothing. Tell her to go to the box office. You know, I mean, when you think about it, like we had no clue. And uh, it was only after that that people came on board and we had fantastic producers who helped us bring it further, you know what I mean? And well, talk to me about the, business. the actual response from the audience. Yeah. Because even from where I was standing when it was here, yeah. there was a, a visceral reaction um, to these women and their stories. Yeah. And, and like that is something that has, I've never experienced the like of us before or since, you know. And I've been asked in an interview before, I go, but really? Oh, it couldn't have been that visceral or it couldn't have been that exciting. And I said, so I, what I said to that person at that time, because it is hard to understand. And, and even I remember being booked by places where they said, that manage your expectations. You know, I mean, people might be interested in the show. It might be more of a festival show. It might not be something that you see in a theatre. And that there were still queues and people fighting over tickets and trying to get in, you know. And the reason being, I think, is that these women, these characters, they weren't characters, though. They always felt like real people. Like, you know, I mean, even though it was a story. And they'd never been on a stage before. They'd never been seen on a stage before. And so the people who saw themselves in that, and it wasn't just people from the gay community. It was a lot of older married couples who came to us and widows and people going, oh, that was my life. You know, so men and women alike didn't see them as a gay couple. They just saw them as lovers and saw them as women of a particular age people of a particular age and they really went they just really fell for it and it spoke to them there was times like you know my character could be a little bit judgmental and that that was very important to us when we were doing the stuff and like you know is that it's not always that black and white there's not the lovers and the haters there's not the people you know there's an unconscious bias as we know from all our research here (laughs) making the feminist and everything in everybody and even within yourself you know kind of you know and the struggle for um, this woman in relation like with our society with with religion and with everything all these things come into play nothing is as straightforward as you meet somebody and you fall in love you have all these other battles and then so um, I think because there was this, the person who was clearer about their sexuality and the person who wasn't, it, that's why it spoke to all aspects of of society when people came to see it. And it is the only show where I've had an audience member while taking me curtain call walk up to the front and it happened here in the Peacock and stick their hand out and ask to shake my hand and say thank you. And like I felt very responsible to tell that story that like it, it became a different thing it wasn't just a job you know it was like it was um, and I don't have to put a fine point in we're not saving lives it's not about that it's just about but no, I actually but felt like going well I, I I am glad that you saw yourself and I'm glad that this has been a transforming experience for you like because that's what theatre should be about it can't be like that all the time you know I, I understand that like you know if it was you know there's also the call for entertainment and you know and everything like that but sometimes you can do both you can you can transform and you can allow somebody to shine for that minute because it wasn't me and Amy on that stage it was 
they like that lady who stuck out her hand that was her on that stage as far as she was concerned and everybody could see her and that's what she was so excited about and we got some amazing letters and calls and you know I mean as a show I I don't think I've ever done anything as challenging in my life and I, I don't know if I ever will and, or as enjoyable I mean I was very lucky I don't ever count anything but to be able to like we've toured this show for five years all all over the world and it's had the same reaction wherever we've gone you know in in a very rural part of Tasmania where unemployment is rife and they said to us it might not be their bag people still stood and laughed and clapped and made cake and ate cake and you know I feel very lucky about that and to do it with your best pal was an amazing thing as well like Tell me about the job of hosting the Irish Times Theatre Awards with her. It was a tricky year to chart. It was a tricky year to chart and I, I won't lie when, when the email came in apparently we both in our separate houses went uh, no way um, but then um, yeah, we somehow convinced each other to do uh, since I heard as myself and Amy I've worked on one other show in the meantime but we are still very close friends and we have a very good working relationship. And this had been bandied about since we did the Alice. You'd hear from people going, oh, the two of you would be great together and the two of you would be great. And I think people think that we permanently go around as the Alice's and we're hoping that maybe we were going to do the Theatre Awards as the Alice or as some other characters. But uh, like, no, we're, we were quite happy to do it as Claire and Amy. And it was important. I think it was a lovely thing, first of all, to be asked and also to be the first time two women hosted together. Now, we've had Pauline McGlynn has done it uh, very competently beforehand, but it was lovely to, um, to in this particular year and in recent years that have gone by and the changes that are happening for two women to host, it felt like a big thing and a part of history that we didn't want to not be part of. So we said yes, and uh, then we tried to talk ourselves out of it several times, going, oh my God, why did we say it? Because it's daunting to be there in front of your peers, but it's a wonderful night and it's a nice celebration, and that is something that we wanted to do. We said this from the offset, we said it's not about... Uh, uh, like it's an ethos that I think has been developed over the last years. Uh, lovely Sonia Kelly has done it, you know, and, and various people, you know, that these are your friends and your colleagues. So you can be, you can poke a little bit of fun, but you're never going to insult anybody because at the end of the day, this is, uh, this is a kind of, um, this is a business where by, I'm very proud of it. I was so proud to be actually as and proud to be there and proud to be witness to my friend's success and my colleague's success and I think that's what it should be and so I hope that we manage to bring that like you know uh, whether it was fun while you were doing it probably not it's like landing a plane but uh, the aftermath of it we were delighted that we we everybody seemed happy with you know what I mean with how we dealt with it because it, it, it was something that had to be dealt with and it was something that we weren't not going to but how to do it in our way and in our terms was the way that we wanted to and hopefully we achieve that now. That well, I think you hit the headlines for, for all the right reasons. <laughs> I'm aware that you're a couple of hours away from walking on stage for Deirdre Kinahan's The Unmanageable Sisters. Yes. You're no stranger to the Abbey stage um, but it is a rare feat that there's 15 women on that stage. Is it a different experience for you? It's a fantastic experience. Absolutely. I mean, uh, they ask, the casting is everything. So I'm, I'm a no stranger to the Abbey stage but I've actually only been on it. This is only my third time and um well, I did 24 hour plays, so maybe a 21 and, uh, or, or sorry, three times and, and 15 minutes. But um, I, uh, I, 
there's something very special about this stage to begin with, but then also to be able to share it with with 14 other women. Like, I have to say, it's been one of the best experiences of my life. And I didn't know what it was going to be like. I, I didn't know, you know, because first of all, uh, it's a it's a new play to us, you know. What I mean? I've worked with Deirdre before, so I was delighted that Deirdre was getting this opportunity, and I love her stuff. And uh, but I was working with people that I have admired for years, so I was afraid: Am I going to be staring at them now and tripping over myself? Am I going to feel self conscious? Will I not feel confident in the room with them? Or, you know, and we said this on the first thing, and it sounds now like we're blowing smoke up, you know. But we're not. I have to say, I've never felt as ready or as supported on stage by a cast in my life. And that's no disrespect to anybody else that was down there. It's just every single person, well, especially for a cast that big. You know, granted, you're doing a 200, you know the other person has your back. You know this guy. But to have 14 other people have your back is, is an amazing feeling. And we came out here on our first preview, primed and ready. And, you know, I think somebody might have fluffed a lot or something, whatever. And you could just feel the surge of love for everyone. going, you're fine. You have it. You have this. You're grand. And it, like it was a split second that we knew about. No, nobody else knew about it, you know. And I just thought, boom, this is brilliant. And I'm not the only one who said it. I know I think somebody else said it as well the following day, you know, kind of said that this was um this was just this felt this love and support. And I, think I have to say that's a testament to Graham. I'd never worked with Graham before. Like, but I it's ran such a lovely room. I suppose it's like the first day of school. You're going in, every new job is like the first day of school. So you go in there and loads of different personalities. You're in this class, there's a teacher at the top. You know? And you have to, um, you have to do your work, you have to keep your head down and you had, yet you have to bond in a very quick space of time with these very vastly different personalities and people with different ways of working. And whoever is at the head of that class has to manage all those things. And this just felt really easy they say there's like you know about relationships you go oh you know when it's right it's when it's easy and uh, that's what it did and yet it was challenging I'm not saying that it was easy as in it wasn't a walk in the park because the amount of the level of interrogation into each of these characters which again is testament to Graham because it, like you have 15 people on a stage 15 big personalities you don't want it to be a soup you know and Graham worked really hard to make it not like that and I think that's I think anybody who comes to see the show will see that like everybody has a very individual character and I've never seen the level of work like which I love the graft and I don't know if that comes from the nursing or what the crack is but I I don't like faffing <laughs> I'm not a faffer I hate faffing it wrecks my head and everybody here was on the nose you know wanting to do something wanting to move something in a certain direction wanting to keep the momentum going wanting to, and never getting complacent either at the same time never getting complacent because that can be another thing going ah we have this now nail it boom and then you discover in front of an audience that it's not so what what we were doing in there was pushing further and further to co cover all eventualities in case it didn't go that way or we could go back to another so you had tried all these options so that you knew that when you got a live audience and then you could start to read from the audience feedback going, oh, yeah, no, that's the way I should play it. Actually, no, that's the way they're directing me to do that or this. Or, and that that all fell into place. But everybody felt they had the tools in the armour to do that. And I think, well, that comes from all the experience, I suppose, of the people on the stage, but also from Graham harnessing that. Because that's, I think, is a really important job for an ensemble director to do is to harness all that energy 
and to make everybody in the one play because with an awful amount of people like that too as well you could be going ah here now there's there's four of them now in that play and there's another ten of them in that play and then there's two more in a whole other play and that doesn't happen I think in this it really feels cohesive and it feels like a like a group effort and like the choral speaking and the stuff that's part of it that makes us a choral group and a little gang. Oh, I love those moments because then you get to be with everybody. You know, you're not on your own. Like you just feel like you can't wait actually to get on that stage. Like, and it, you know, our production starts off with with, with the lovely Marion and Claire and they're holding the fort and they're, they, you know, and then there's five of us come on and then another couple come on and then another few come on until you have us all there and it just feels like a lovely cake that's been layered up to the top and then the icing is when we're all on, you know, and uh, I have to say I've never enjoyed it and like it. What do you get out of acting? What do I get out of acting? It's funny, I was only talking to somebody a few weeks ago and we were laughing our heads off because as an actor, I think you think you feel really lucky to be on stage because it's what you've always wanted to do, right? So you think, oh my God, I'm the luckiest person in the world. Like, I can't believe it. You're pinch me. So you think that everybody else wants that thing too. But the people who aren't actors wouldn't want to be on that stage for love nor money. And that was kind of a revelation because I just assumed everybody would love to do this. Um, I don't, like, it just feels like a wonderful job and a job that I love hearing an audience reaction. Like, And it's not about an applause, it's not about it like that, but if you can hear a sniff or a cry or sometimes in the Alice it used to be so close to me, you see somebody hold a hand and... I just think that's what I love when I go to theatre because I still love theatre too. Like I love going to theatre, see things. So it's not just about, and like I don't go to something going, I'd I done that that way. That, that's not me. I just, I love, I love this, the magic of theatre. I love how it makes me feel, where it transports me to. And if I can be part of that, then I think that that's a great thing. You know, to, I, from either side of it. I love it. So that's not a very intelligent, smart, wonderful, quotable answer in any shape or form. But just that it, um, it it's something that brings me great joy. And I've never had the Sunday night feeling. And it wasn't that I didn't love the nursing because I love the nursing. And I often compare that to myself because people say, oh, why did you leave the nursing? You don't like it. And I was like, no, I absolutely loved it. I loved my friends that I made. I loved the work that I did. It was very rewarding work, you know. But I love this. I remember one time driving back after Christmas and my poor dad said to me, God, it's terrible now making you do all the driving now and you have to go to work tomorrow. And I went, what? Did you go to work? Oh yeah, I go to work. But I was thrilled to go to work. And it, like we were laughing, you know, about the snow days here. I, I, like my father <laughs> was laughing with me going, this is ridiculous, Claire. The whole country is delighted with a bit of enforced rest and you're the only one giving out that you can't go to work. And I goes, because I am mad to do it and I love doing it. And as long as I think... I can stand up on my two pins and take a breath in my body. I will hopefully be able to continue this job for. I have no need for retirement. I would just love to keep working at this job. I just think it's it's uh, it's me dream come true. Now, it really is. Claire Bart, my face is sore from smiling. Thank you very much for talking with me today. Thank you, Lisa. Now.